everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Break. I am your host, Father Roderick, recording this very late in the week. I've had a kind of a busy week uh, with a couple of trips, and so my whole production schedule is out of whack. But I'm glad to still be able to bring you another episode for this week of The Break. Lots of things to talk about. I want to thank my patrons for making it possible for me to bring you these shows. And I want to welcome a few members to new members to our community. John Bold, Grant Woolner, Garrett Donnelly, and Ralph Bassfeld all have signed up as new members of our Patreon community. Thank you so much for your uh, support, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on our Discord server. I also want to say a special thank you to Kent, who upped his tier for this month. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I made a mistake before recording <clears throat> this episode of The Break, and maybe you are able to tell it from the way my voice sounds. I'm a little bit hoarse, and it's not because I have a cold. It is because of a feature that I've discovered on my iPad. <laughs> I I have Spotify on all my mobile devices, and... Um, I don't know exactly how it works, but it is linked to all my Google speakers. And so I can, when I play music, I can play it over speakers. I've got speakers in every room and here on the, on the, the ground floor, I have even like two or three speakers in, because this is a pretty big living room. And so normally I play songs over, uh, over, over the speakers, but then I was sitting behind my iPad uh, and, and I discovered that there's actually a lyrics function on Spotify. Now, most of you probably think, duh, it's been there forever, but I didn't actually <laughs> realize that it was there. And so I was playing, I have a playlist with all my starred songs. There's usually one big bin where I put, whenever I hear a new song that I like, I put it, I star it, and then it gets in that playlist. And it's, it's usually like 90% of it is sing-along stuff. It's just songs from when I was in high school up until today. and um, But a lot of these songs I sing along, but I don't actually know the lyrics. And so I was, I was looking at the lyrics and I was like, wow, I can sing along with these. It's like karaoke. And I think I went overboard a little bit too much. So I was belting out like musical songs and, oh my gosh, The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News from Back to the Future. I never read the lyrics so i was like oh that's what they're singing <laughs> i also had that as a child when um we, we always went on vacation to to france and uh, because my my father loved the the french culture and the food and everything so um from my early childhood we would be hearing french music in the summertime and so i've always kind of had this nostalgia about french songs and especially the kind of music that you would hear in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, and, and then, as you may know, I've also done my studies in the French part of Belgium. So for about five years during my, the first part of my seminary years was all, I was imbibed with French culture. And so, uh, I, but when I was a child, of course, I, could, I didn't speak French. I only learned that in, in secondary school. And then when I was doing my studies in, in Louvain, and so I've, but I did sing along with a lot of the songs I, we had on, on records. Uh, 
but without knowing what it meant. We were just like mimicking the sounds that we heard. And, and sometimes very many years later, like decades later, I would think like, huh, I'm singing along with this song, but I actually, I, I understand what I'm singing right now. That's so crazy. And so I was still singing along without actively comprehending what the song was about. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, wait a minute. No, I actually know what this song is about. And then it sings in. It sinks in what the song is, truly means. And, and sometimes that's a, that's a great discovery. And sometimes you're like, oh, wow, maybe I should not sing this uh, uh, aloud. <laughs> the, these lyrics are maybe not entirely family friendly. <laughs> Back in the day when, when streaming was still very new and I was using, I was using a service called Ustream, um, which would result mostly in like postage stamp sized uh, video uh, that we would send out and I was I was doing what I'm doing right now so I was recording a podcast and then before and after the show I would chat with whoever was following those you stream streams but that was way before they were analyzing what people were actually streaming. And so nowadays, when you're on streaming on YouTube, um, th they constantly check the al with like algorithmic technology if you're not by accident or maybe on purpose uh, uh, streaming copyrighted stuff. Like, and mostly it's audio-based. So if I would play like a, a, a copyrighted song, immediately I would get flagged. And I would get a warning that I have, would have to take down the stream, or, uh, or and and if you if you don't, um, your channel can even ultimately get suspended, which would be a total disaster. But back in the days, uh, nobody was was checking that, and so I remember that we would do entire like quiz segments. Mike is in the chat right now, and he he probably re will remember those days. So I would play a song, and then other like the people that were watching had to guess what it was about <laughs> or what song it was or we would like play um on demand so people were like what what song should i play next and then uh, play this play that and i had a, a large collection of music i think on my hard drive um probably not always acquired legally at the time this was before spotify was a thing um, but I loved playing, and I, and I had a, a pretty extensive collection of CDs that I had sampled. So I had MP3s of all my CDs, and uh, and I would play that music live on the air. I, sometimes I miss that because I I like singing, I like music, uh, but it's it's all yeah. Those days are over. You have, you have to pay for everything. But I do like the fact that with Spotify, I can listen to almost any song that I remember from my childhood uh and and now i can i can sing along with the lyrics but <clears throat> i maybe overdid it and i know i know exactly which song i that broke my voice it was from les miserables uh um it was the one day one day more like one day more la, 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 and i was doing all the voices and i was like belting out loud <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I live alone, so I'm not, I'm not, nobody suffers because of that. But my voice did suffer a little bit. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. 
You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. That was another glorious week for television. And um, I'm, I'm tracking what I watch nowadays because I'm following so many different series. And sometimes I just forget what I'm watching. And so uh, I try to be a bit more consistent in, in watching an entire season. Also because uh, when I'm streaming live, and I try to do that every day at uh, 5 p.m. my time, so that's 11 Eastern, uh, 8 Pacific, in case you ever want to catch me live. Um, oftentimes we, we talk about television and people ask me which series I'm watching and where I am in, in, in this or that series. So I've, I've been using um, TV Time for a while to, uh, to track what I watched. But recently I discovered another service that is very similar and it's called Tracked. T-R-A-K-T. Um, it's also free. But the there are a few differences that made me switch over to Tracked, which is a little bit of a shame because I spent so much time putting all, my, all the movies that I ever watched into the TV Time database. Uh, whereas in Tracked, I'm only tracking the series that I'm currently watching. So there's no... The, the, I, I, I didn't want to go back. It's like with Goodreads and, um, what is it, Storygraph? Like, I've, I've posted most of my reviews and my entire, bibli not my bibliography, not my bibliography, but all the books that I have are entered into Goodreads. But then recently I started using Storygraph because it's actually, it's different from Goodreads, has some, some perks. But at the same time, I was like, oh, man, I have to re-enter all that. And then thankfully, you can output your Goodreads database and then import it into, um, into Storygraph. So that, that solved that problem. But since I'm a bit on the fence, I like the fact that on Goodreads, you have so many other people that are posting their reviews. And so I often get my, my, um, my suggestions from, from friends that follow me or that I follow on, on Goodreads. Don't have that in, in Storygraph. But with um, TV Time and Tracked, you cannot do that. There may be very complicated ways to, uh, to, to migrate over from TV Time to Tracked. But the reason that I switched is there are two reasons. First of all, they um, allow me to indicate where I'm watching. Because Tracked also gives you a calendar that says, hey, this week... On this particular channel, uh, there's a new episode of so-and-so, which is very useful um, to kind of keep track of, of new episodes, and I can watch it right away. But the, 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 the thing is, and maybe TV Time has a similar function, but it's usually very U.S.-based. So if you're not in the U.S., so for, for instance, we'll say, hey, there is this and this show on Hulu, and I'm thinking, well, we don't have Hulu here. And then what, what may be on Netflix in one country may be on Amazon Prime in another country or on Disney somewhere else. <clears throat> so not every, uh, um, uh, what is it, uh, a publishing deal covers the entire world. A lot of these platforms are moving to global licenses, but it's not the case. And so it would be very confusing sometimes that you would get suggestions, hey, watch this or watch that. And then I'm looking for it on Netflix and I can't find it. And it turns out it's only on, on Netflix in the UK. With Tracked, 
I can say, hey, I'm in the Netherlands, and then it gives you an, a huge list of everything that's available on in the Netherlands. All the channels and the both streaming channels, but also television channels. And I can just click on it and say, hey, I can watch this. I, I have access to this. And then it will only show me a calendar for those particular channels. It's very nifty. Um, another thing that I like about Tract is its integration with um, the journaling software that I use. Um, I've, I've talked about this in the past, so I, I switched from um, day one to, um, to Diarium, which is available for almost any platform, and it's, it doesn't work with subscriptions. Instead, you have to pay for per, per, um, per operating system. So I paid... Um, and it's like a couple of bucks, um, but there's no recurring cost, which I like. And so I have it on on iOS, on on the Mac. I have it on um, uh, on Android, and not yet on on the PC. So there's a Windows version as well. But <clears throat> it 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 allows you to syn synchronize between all those different versions of the Arium, um, and it can also monitor for instance your instagram and and suck in the photos that you post there and it has a link with the diarium and i have not seen that in any other journaling software where it will um if you if you enter your credentials it will add per day what you watch that day and i actually really like that to have a bit of a um, maybe you can also do that with Goodreads, and I, I need to look into that. But I, I would like to have a, like automatically logged in my diary when I watched a certain series. Um, so that is another advantage of, uh, of Tracked. So what have I been watching? Um, I'm continuing Star Wars Rebels. I'm, I'm watching uh, The Bad Batch, of course, but that's only once a week, and it's only 25 minutes. Uh, of, of Star Wars. I need a little bit more Star Wars than that in my life. And so I use the extra time to uh, catch up with Star Wars Rebels. I'm now in Season 3, Episode 12, The Ghosts of Geonosis. So it's funny to see them going back to a planet that we all know from the prequels and they encounter... Um, oh, I can't spoil that, of course. But anyway, there are some, some visual reminders of the prequels, which was kind of nice. Not the strongest of stories, but you can tell that the the series is getting a little bit more profound. Uh, there's a more overarching stuff happening, and apparently it gets really good towards the end of season three. And and I think there's only one more season, which will then lead into Ahsoka, which I'm certainly looking forward to. They have been filming that earlier last year. I'm actually not sure when that one is going to air. Um, but I do know that if it if it connects with Star Wars Rebels, and I think it, it mostly the character of Ezra is going to be have a play a central role, and then some of the characters from the main characters of Rebels will also uh, have a, a I don't know a recurring role, a guest role. Nobody knows in Ahsoka, so that's going to be cool. Um, that's Star Wars. I started another series based on a recommendation of someone that I follow on TikTok. <clears throat> and she said, uh, watch Hunters. And I'd never heard of the series. Uh, but uh, I started watching this uh, two days ago. And it's, a, it's an interesting series. A, a bit shocking. It's definitely not family friendly. Uh, because there are some murders that take place in the first episode. And it's pretty gruesome. 
but the premise is is quite cool. Um, I'm reading this from the Wikipedia entry. It's an American conspiracy drama series um, that premiered in 2020 on Amazon Prime. Uh, and there's also a second and last season that just recently premiered uh, in, in January. Um, and I think all the episodes are already online. Now, what's the premise of this series? It uh, draws from a number of or the characters in the series draw from a number of real Nazi hunters through, a, through the decades, uh, but they're not supposed to represent like specific real-life characters. It follows a div diverse band of Nazi hunters living in 1977 New York City. And I have to say, they, they really uh, nailed the, the, the vibe of the 70s. Uh, I, I lived in the 70s, and it was like, oh, yeah, 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 that's the kind of music, that's the kind of clothes that we were wearing. Um, and it, it's, it's pretty well done. But then these Nazi hunters discover that numerous escaped Nazi officers are conspiring to create a fourth Reich, so not the third Reich that, that Hitler was trying to build in during the Second World War, but uh, they, they, all these Nazis are still alive, apparently, and they want to take over the United States. And then uh, there is also, apparently, a lot of government, and this is all, of course, fictional, um, but the U.S. apparently is trying to relocate a lot of German scientists that worked on uh, the weapons of mass destruction, etc. Uh, but they, they want to relocate them to the United States to use their talents. Now, of course, this is not entirely fictional because we know that, uh, was it von Braun, who, who, who worked on the V-2 bombs uh, during the Nazi times, was actually recruited by NASA to help them, you know, uh, build the, the rockets ultimately to, to go to the moon. Um, and uh, For All Mankind in the first season refers to that. Um, so it's, it's an intriguing series. Um, I was a bit shocked <laughs> by the beginning, but I was like, D -d -d yeah, I want to see how this ends. Uh, another series uh, that I... Um, that I first saw on TikTok was shrinking. And I'm so glad I caught that early because it premiered on Apple TV+. And I'm a huge fan of what Apple does. They don't have a big catalog, but a lot of what they have is, is quality-wise, it's, uh, it's top-notch. <clears throat> and I've been enjoying Tad Lasso for two seasons now. I can't wait for the third season. But it's it's... I've never seen a show like Tad Lasso that hits me so hard. It makes me laugh, but it also makes me cry. And it's, it's so relatable. And, and I discovered that the makers or the writers or showrunners of Tad Lasso have now also uh, premiered a new series um, called Shrinking. And an extra reason for me to watch it is that it stars Harrison Ford. And apparently they filmed this in April last year. So um, when I saw Harrison Ford at the Star Wars con convention in Anaheim, it's probably because he was filming there. Well, not, in, not at the convention, not in Anaheim, but close by. And uh, so it stars uh, uh, Harrison Ford, who plays Dr. Paul Rhodes. He's not the main character, actually. Um, but he plays a senior therapist 
who works at the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Center. The thing is, he also suffers from uh, the early onset of Parkinson's disease, and, well, he has to deal with that, even though he's a therapist. Um, it's often said that, that uh, a doctor cannot cure himself. And so it's, it's an interesting character. But the main character is uh, Jimmy Laird, who is played by Jason Siegel, um, a therapist experiencing grief following the death of his wife. This is all revealed in the first episode, so I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything. But <clears throat> he has a, a daughter who's trying to raise now, and he is not coping with his grief, even though he's a therapist. But he is unable to, well, to heal himself in this respect. And it reflects on the way he treats his patients. And so he gets so worked up over time uh, because he's also dealing with a lot of his personal issues that he starts to get upset when his patients are just like not doing the right thing. And then, and then he, he goes off script and does a lot of things that would be totally not appropriate for a therapist to do. And Harrison Ford is there to correct him or Harrison Ford's character. Like that's not, that's not how psychology works. and <laughs> That's not how a therapist should work. Um, but they play off uh, one another, I think, in a, in a fantastic way. There, there's just this chemistry within the entire cast that is so incredibly exceptional, and it has a heart. This, this series did exactly what Ted Lasso also did to me. It, it made me relate and, and laugh and not really cry, but I, I, I felt for these characters. And, and there's this mixture of a bit of, of sadness, um, the, all the, the hurt that people are dealing with, and at the same time, it's just hilariously comical and funny and unbelievable. It, it, it feels like this is the same universe as Tad Lasso. There should be a crossover series that features these, these two worlds. Now, of course, one... One story, Ted Lasso, takes place in the UK. The other series takes place in the United States. But it feels like this is in exactly the same world. And I feel like I'm part of that world. It, it's, it's an incredible series. Episode 3 just came out this past Friday. I haven't watched it yet. But it's already now the, 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 the series that I'm most looking forward to, to watching. And Harrison Ford, oh my goodness. Um... I mean, he's he's old now, <laughs> and I was actually quite surprised that uh, that he, he he wanted to come back for Indiana Jones. I think he probably nailed it. Um, but when I saw him on stage, I felt like, wow, he's getting really old, and it almost felt like he was a bit confused and not really there. And like, uh, maybe it's a good thing to start winding down. Uh, your career right now. You're getting too old for this. You know, take some take some time off. You don't have to act for the money anymore. Um, but now that I've seen this series, I'm like, whoa! It's probably just he's just he's just pretending that he's getting old because he's he's fantastic in this series. Everybody is. Go watch it if you can. Uh, so again, it's called uh, Shrinking, and it's on. Apple TV Plus. The last thing that I've been watching is thanks to something I will be talking about in the tech section of this show. Um, 
I'm, I'm, uh, I started watching Attack on Titan, which is an anime series based on a, a very popular manga. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool. It, it's, a, it's a weird story um, about a kind of a medieval society and the entire city where we get to know the main characters is surrounded by a huge 50 feet or 50 meters tall. No, it must be much more than that. Must be like I don't know. Anyway, now fifty probably fifty meter tall wall that surrounds the entire city. Behind the wall, they can actually leave the city and the enclosure of the wall. But but the world that surrounds them is extremely unsafe because there are giants walking around there um, that are pretty brain dead. They almost like feel like zombies, but they are murderous. They eat people. And they attack the city, and they have attacked the city in the past, and that's why these walls are there. And then there are special teams of defenders that are, uh, every time that there is a, an attack by these giants, and it made me think a lot of the trolls in, in Valheim, where you build a, a, a town, and then uh, big blue trolls are starting to, to try to tear down your walls during attacks, and then you have to... Uh, create defenses on the walls of your town. If you don't have walls, they're going to completely destroy everything in sight. And later on, there are other uh, foes in the game that will do the same. They will start attacking your town, and so you have to mount uh, a, a defense system. And and that's probably inspired by Attack on Titan, on Titan, where these huge uh, monsters are attacking the city and teams of uh, of, of like they use wires and hooks and grapples to almost fly through the air. It's very elegant type of warfare. And then they uh, use knives to, to try to chase away these, these giants. And if they fail, the consequences are dire because these giants will just start destroying everything in, t- in, the, in the city and, and eating people. It's very gruesome. And so we follow two kids, and they see their mother actually getting killed by these giants, which will probably set up their future involvement in these defense crews or defense teams. Series has been recommended to me many times, um, and I'm glad that I can finally sample it and maybe even talk about it. Uh, There is already in the first episode at least one topic that I could address in a commentary if I continue to do these shorts on TikTok and YouTube, uh, where there apparently is kind of like a church-like organization, and they consider the walls to be sacred. And they condemn anyone who wants to venture beyond these walls, because the walls are given by God, and they protect the city, and um, they almost become sacred a sacred object. You, you cannot do anything to the wall, and... Um, it's a bit this, the kind of the trope of uh, the, the Dark Ages, which uh, in itself is already a very, very um, historically incorrect way to describe the Middle Ages. But it's this trope that the church um, in the past was, uh, and maybe according to some also today, is super intolerant and tries to make, to keep people confined to in their own system of beliefs and and they discourage any discovery there's a bit of that i think an undercurrent in the way they portray religion here um but we'll, we'll see i'm i'm curious to see where they will take the story 
Speaking of religion, it's time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! This is the place where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And let me address briefly this this trope, this common, commonly shared belief that Christians are anti-science. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. You must have heard this many times. Um, in the perception of people, when you are a person of faith and you believe in God and you try to read the Bible, <clears throat> then you are probably also against uh, the, the theory of evolution. You're anti-science. Uh, you're narrow-minded. Uh, you follow ancient medieval rules that are... Uh, robbing people from their freedom to make their own decisions, etc., etc., etc. You see a lot of that; those preconceived notions about faith in among atheists or self-declared atheists or agnostics, where they sometimes are more religiously fanatic than, <laughs> than most Christians are, in in kind of spreading those ideas that that well, if if you believe, then you are not rational; you're not a, a person of science. Um, and you know what? They may actually react to, because there's always, you know, why do people say that? It may be because in certain Christian circles, there is this kind of anti-scientific mindset, um, which stems from, um, I think, uh, <clears throat> a defor deformed idea of, of what, what truth is. Um, especially when it comes to the Bible. Uh, so there are uh, certain groups of Christians that, that think, well, if the Bible is the word of God, then obviously everything that is in the Bible is literally true. So if the Bible says in Genesis that, the, that God created the world in seven days, then yeah, that's it. You know, before those seven days, there was nothing. Um, and it will often treat the historical accounts in the Bible as, you know, verbatim this is how it happened and then of course if you look at more uh literary criticism and historical criticism of the bible you will soon if you do any type of serious bible study you will discover that a lot of the stories in the bible didn't happen the way they were described and that in fact there are a lot of different literary genres some of which are more poetic than anything else and those early stories of the bible you know, Genesis and Exodus, um, were much more almost legendary in, in the way, in, the, in, in terms of the genre, where they try to explain something about the world and about God using stories, but it's much more important to look at what they explain, what they try to convey about God and about our human existence than to try to relate certain facts that happened or, or to tell the history of how the world came about. How is that even possible? Because no one was there but God himself when earth was created. Um, but it's, it, it, it's some of those liter literal readers um, will then, of course, see a huge 
discrepancy between what's written in the Bible, and if the Bible is the word of God, then it has to be true, and, and science that says, well, that's not how the universe came to be, and this is, this is just not how evolution works. And it, No, God did not create the world in seven days. At least not in it. If you if you um, if you look at science, um, this this took millions of years <laughs> for for the world to to be as it is today, and it will probably continue to 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 evolve over millions of years. And ultimately, the the, the planet will stop to 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 exist because our our sun will die out, and it will uh, start to. Uh, to inflate and it will become this big red dwarf and it will swallow up the earth. So nothing here on this planet is going to be eternal, no matter what the Bible says. And it's of course this this misunderstanding that um, what it, that it, you need to uphold the literal veracity of the Bible so that you uphold the truths of faith. Um, whereas I think, well, you have literal truth. But you also have deeper truths, like when you're watching a series like Ted Lasso or uh, uh, shrink, Shrinking, uh, what I was just talking about, or even if you read mythology, there are certain truths that are conveyed in those stories, even though the people that you're following don't exist. They're characters. They're fictional characters. If I read a book by Sanderson or Jordan or, or Tolkien, I'm reading fiction. The entire the entirety of Middle-earth came straight from the imagination of Tolkien. Hobbits don't exist. And yet, there are some very deep truths about creation, about virtue, about uh, maybe even the meaning of life, hidden in, in the text. Um, and and I think that taking that approach to uh, the Bible will also help you reconcile faith with science, because they can be both true, but they're true on different levels. Truth is a multifaceted thing, um, and so in the Catholic tradition, there's always been, and I think this stems also from the Jewish tradition, there's always been this undercurrent of, of curiosity. Yeah, we, we, we read those stories. We believe certain things about God. But at the same time, God gave us a brain. He gave us the ability to think, to use reason. And so philosophy has always been extremely important for Catholic theology because there are a lot of things. You don't need the Bible to adhere to certain truths. You have your own brain that can help you do that. And that hence the importance of philosophy, ethics, moral morality. It's not just because God in the Bible tells you, "Hey, thou shalt not do this and this." No, you can just use your brain for a lot of these things to discover how you should behave and what is morally right and what is morally wrong. Not everything. There are some parts of our existence that, at least, a deeper meaning of it or the purpose of it have had to be revealed to us. This is where philosophy and theology um, can complement each other. There's a lot you can just use your own reason and science and everything to understand the world in which you live, understand how we are built, um, what is good for us and what is good for the common good. And then there, there is revelation. 
And that is what we learn in the Bible. It's what God is trying to communicate us that we cannot come up with ourselves. For instance, what happens when we die? We cannot measure that. It, it was revealed to us, and, and it's up to you if you want to believe that or not. But Jesus says, it, if, you, if you have trust in me, if you have faith in me, you will live even though you will die. So Jesus even confirms that the reality of death and, and just the, that's, that's how the world works. But he also talks about a meta-reality, something that is beyond what we can measure and grasp and under, even understand, like God itself. As a concept, God, it, it's not something that we can explain or prove uh, with physics or, or math, but it also is not contradictory because it, they, it's different, different things, different aspects of the truth that we're talking about. And so, uh, and in the past, the church has had to correct many of its ideas because of science. You know, there were there were times where a lot of people in the church would be opposed to certain people or or uh, astronomers or whatever. But then, ultimately, of course, science was it made it obvious that 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 some of those beliefs were wrong. And then the church has always. Uh, made a distinction between um, be- between dogma, which is basically these are the perennial truths, is that, uh, perennial truths. So the things that never change. So, f- for instance, God is love. That is something that will never change, and it's not doesn't depend on science. But what's our place in the universe? What's the story of our our planet? How did the sun come about? Oh well. Use science to try to explain. Be curious in the fact that the Earth is round and it circles around the sun instead of the, like you would see in in some Bible stories where it was written in a time that people didn't know exactly what the universe was and how that all worked. And so you will have Psalms that will describe how the sun will, will journey across the sky and well, no, we are journeying around the sun, and the sun itself is making a huge journey at breakneck speed through the galaxy that we belong to, the Milky Way, and then that is part of an even bigger mumble-jumble, timey-wimey, time-matter-space empty emptiness, and it all, we don't exactly know who is circling around what, um, but we have math, we have physics, we have... Uh, um, uh, the um, uh, what is it Chem- chemistry etc to help us better understand um, how the world functions but why we are here what's the purpose of our existence well that pertains more to the domain of philosophy and theology and 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 ethics um, so. It, it's it's for me uh, one area where this probably will continue to have a major impact on what the church has up, upheld for many centuries is right now the incredible ev- evolution of psychology and neurosciences. Our human behavior is very um, mysterious and has always been very mysterious. And it needs to be regulated, let's be honest. You cannot just say, well, just do whatever you want. No. Uh, If you take, as an example, the gun violence in the United States, 
it's based. There's a lot of controversy around that, and, and a lot of people say, "Well, no, that's our, that's our God-given right to bear arms." Um, and at the same time, we see how destructive that policy can be. How easy it is for people and even children to get hold of weapons, and then you cannot say, "Well, that's self-regulating things." No, it, it, you see, uh, many different countries. The country where I live, there are, you cannot just get weapons like that, and so. We don't have shooting sprays. If if they may happen, it's just in the criminal among criminals. And uh, and, and nowadays there, there's a lot of uh, worry about uh, about a lot of young kids walking around with knives because, of course, it's pretty easy to get a knife. But then uh, we 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 realize that we have to regulate human behavior. You cannot just let it go. And so <clears throat> this is why I think. In, in in the church, in, in churches, in religion in general, human behavior has always been, or these religions have tried to regulate and to also streamline social behavior without truly understanding why this behavior comes about and why people do what they do. But this is where psychology and sociology are so important and, are, and, and there's so much going on in terms of better understanding um, like, for instance, take the whole gender debate and uh, uh, homosexuality, and, and people are uh, not defining themselves in a certain way. Well, the church has often had a very, very uh, clear um, doctrine about identity, about gender, about sexuality. At the same time, uh, a lot of the underpinnings were based on, well, this is what the Bible says, this is what we think from our perspective of morality and ethics, etc. But the whole domain of psychology, neurosciences, um, has, has, is, is learning so much about how our brains function, how gender identity comes about. And, and a lot of that is still in very early stages of, of, of scientific discovery. I think it's very important for the church to keep listening to those scientists, to keep, to keep reading up on psychology. And I know that in my own formation as a priest, when I was in seminary, when I was studying at, studying at the university, there, there was almost nothing of that. We had, I think, two courses in psychology. And there are seminaries in the Netherlands where there was nothing. These students had to work with people and still have to work as priests with people in a pastoral capacity. And they know nothing about psychology. They know nothing about psychotherapy. They may even walk around themselves with a lot of trauma that is untreated because it was kind of disregarded as, well, that's a soft sector. That's, you know, if you have the Bible, you don't, you don't need to know anything about psychology, which, of course, is false. You should know. And it's very helpful to know more about psychology. And I think in this respect, the church is a bit behind the times right now. And it's because there is this rift, this growing rift between the world of science and the academic world and, and the pastoral side of the church. And, and a lot of, I mean, there are, of course, theologians that are working in an academic environment and they do read um, studies from, from their peers and from other scientists, but not enough. Not enough, and I feel like uh, I, I've constantly felt behind on um, 
on the research when it comes to psychology. And I, I think it shows right now in the whole tension about all these very controversial topics um, and maybe more controversial for church people than, 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 than it is in our society right now because the opinions are changing, behavior is changing. And of course the church, I, I'm not advocating that the church always goes along with the trends but I do advocate that the church studies what's going on and asks for help from scientists. Help us understand this. Help us to guide people instead of just condemning them and saying, well, you're wrong and you're wrong because the Bible says you're wrong. I'm thinking, well, first of all, does the Bible truly say that? <laughs> there, because there, there are different opinions there too when it comes to morality and the way that, that people have interpreted certain passages of the Bible. So that's, that's the first job you have to do. The second thing is, of course, um, there is this whole, uh, and this is pretty recent, actually, the theology of the body, uh, which is um, developed um, mostly by using a lot of texts from John Paul II, who himself was a philosopher and a theologian. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a system, you could say, a systematic look at uh, uh, relationships between men and women and how sexuality enters into that and, and, and gender and identity, etc., um, combined with lots of like uh, philosophical anthropology, uh, because that was one of the areas of interest of, of John Paul II, and a bit of theology. And so and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting, um, it's not really a, a, like a, a thing on itself, um, it's interesting to study it. At the same time, I've always felt that it, it was a bit, it was lacking, the, the, especially the dim dimension of uh, psychological sciences and input from biology and just all the recent research. Because John Paul II wrote in his time, and he was influenced by a lot of thinking. I, 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 I studied um, John Paul II's theology when I was doing my uh, university studies. Um, and I wrote a thesis on on uh, on John Paul II's uh, anthropology. Um, but even then, I already realized, well, hmm, he is a bit of a child of his time, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all are. But I always felt that it's it's a bit risky to just build an entire system and then use that system to judge everything you see based on the theology of someone who actually was not a... He was a decent theo theologian, but John Paul II was not a was not a he wasn't a Hansers from Balthazar. <laughs> he wasn't a, a, a Ratzinger. I think I think uh, Ratzinger Joseph Ratzinger was a much much more educated uh, uh, thinker than than John Paul II was. Now I'm I'm not here to say well so you should disregard what they wrote etc. But I I believe that there is. There is a, a world where the church can, I think, gain from studying more uh, in the area of psychology and, and neurosciences. I think it would help the church to have a better understanding of, the, of what's going on right now in society, what's going on in young people. Um, and, and, and when we talk about topics that are very controversial right now like gender and you see the the public opinion changing on on when it comes to these topics i think to be to have a believable stance and to, to be truly able to help people the church should be up to date with its knowledge and i often have the feeling that we are not at least i'm not
And so I'm I'm reading up on 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 a lot of stuff that I never read when I was in when I was doing my studies. And but I also know that most of my colleagues don't have time to read because they are full time pastors. They're full time pastoral managers, and I just hope that that uh, the seminary education is um, is 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 adapting to. Um, the 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 continuing advances in uh, in certain er- scientific areas because I, f- I feel like as priests we need to be a bit jack of all trades we need to know a bit of, of everything and we cannot just say well, well you know what I, I I'm, I'm I'm not a scientist I'm I'm a pastor not a not a scientist you know no we we pretend to be able to guide people in all the areas of their lives so we should also know what we're talking about. And not and that's not just the Bible. Science, theology, philosophy, ethics, um, uh, dogma, it all goes together. It all should come together. So we've got our world we, we've got our work cut out. Speaking of reading. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Oh my gosh, I I just can't stop reading. <laughs> it's it, I love reading. I'm. It's every year it gets worse. It's a disease. <laughs> I never thought I would be such an avid reader uh, in this time of my life. I've I've been always reading as a child, and then for years, for mo- maybe more than a decade, I barely read anything but. Uh, the the stuff that I was supposed to read for my studies, um, and then I just told myself that I didn't have time to read, and so for years I've been uh, trying to get back into reading, reading short stuff, just to get back into the habit of of reading a couple of books per week, and now I feel like I'm I'm so much into reading that I'm going to attack a few bigger books. We had this discussion on the Discord server with the patrons uh, uh, a while ago where um, we, we exchanged our book tips and I said, I'm just trying to read three books a, a week now. And then uh, John Domic said, um, you know what, I, I don't count. I read because I love it. So I read huge books, uh, like some of the Sanderson novels, and we're talking like six, seven, eight hundred pages. And when I'm done, I'm done, you know. And I felt a little bit... Um, uh, challenged by that, and I, I realized, well, you know what? Actually, that does prevent me from reading big books because I feel like I am, you know, on on this race. I need to read three books, otherwise, I'm going to be behind, and I will never be able to read 150 books this year. But I may be missing out on some books that are just long, and this is where I finally decided that yes, I will continue to read regular sized books but i'm going to carve out some extra time um to read a few big books that i've that have been on my reading list since forever and uh, and and now is the time to actually start reading those books of course the wheel of time that's a series i uh, i want to read it because i i like that world i like that universe um, but it's also a bit of a chore because the, there's a lot of fluff in the in the early books, and uh, sometimes you, it's a bit meandering. It's all nice, but you feel like this book could have been three, four hundred pages shorter. 
<laughs> and it would be better if it had been abbreviated a little bit. Um, but I'll, I'll give it another try and see if I can get through that series this year. And there's this one book that I, I've been hearing about for years. And uh, my first initial encounter with this book was through a video game. Um, it was called Pillars of the Earth, and I saw it uh, in, during a Steam sale, and I was reading the reviews, and people said, oh, it's so amazing, this is a, a, an incredible game, it's based on this famous book called The Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett, and oh, it's so good. And then uh, I heard that there was a te television series also based on the book, but the book I never ever considered putting that on my list or started reading it because it, I think it's 1,100 pages. It's just super long. The audiobook version is more than 40 hours. Um, and I also was a bit reluctant to start reading it because I, f I feared it would be one of those like uh, Game of Thrones type of books where you are um, submerged by a deluge of names and, and years and... Uh, all sorts of complicated political machinations going on and life is too short for that stuff i just like give me i'll i'll watch the tv series <laughs> but it's just not my thing I'm, I'm i'm too old for this kind of reading and so i i kind of unjustly thought that that, that pillars of the earth would be a book like that because it was about building cathedrals in the middle ages name something that is Less exciting than that. I mean, I love cathedrals, but a book about the building of cathedrals? Ah, oh, come on. It's just going to be one of those slogs to read. and It's going to be about uh, historical fiction. Never been a, a thing that I enjoyed. How wrong was I? So I saw, I was, I was browsing Mastodon, and I'm following the, the Bookstodon um, group, which is, that's one of the cool things that I think makes Mastodon in, uh, better than Twitter. Um, it's not just people that you follow, but th there, are, there are the Fediverse um, is, uh, is much broader than that. And so I can follow, like there is an, a whole Instagram type of, uh, of, of portion of the Fediverse um, which is like Instagram, but I can follow it from straight from Mastodon. I can just get subscribed to people's photos, which is awesome. It's all integrated. Whereas in, in old-fashioned social, social media, you had to sign up for all these different platforms, and, and nobody, well, <laughs> you, you never really own your stuff because you yourself are the product. That's how they can offer it for free. With Mastodon, it's all, like of course, uh, built by individuals and it's crowdfunded nobody owns the fediverse and so th there is also and this is uh, like half of my content that i follow in my timelines is from groups or like servers that that uh, amalgate a lot of different articles and then i only have to follow one uh, one account and it gives me all those updates and all those posts and i follow like hashtags um, so books, reading, and I can put all those, everything has to do with books. I can put that in one column, and if I sit behind my iPad, I open up Mastodon, and I've got like a lot of ad adjacent columns, and every column will be one about video games, one about uh, astronomy, another one about Star Trek, Star Wars, um, books. And this is how 
all of a sudden my world has become so much bigger than it ever was on social media. And I get a lot of tips and I engage with people. It's so much fun. I get a lot of my followers, not from people that know me from the podcast or from my videos, but because I interact with them and then people are like, huh, that's interesting. Let's follow this guy. He, he talks about books or he talks about cats or he talks about Star Trek. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's anyway, I'm always, every day I read about people, people's experiences with books and they tell me, oh, I'm started, finally started to read. So there's this one guy, he said, my son lured me into finally starting to read Pillars of the Earth. And uh, he said, it's great. And I never really had the courage to, to, to start reading it. And now I'm reading it and I'm hooked. And I, I was like, that's me. I have this, I'm in the same place. I never wanted to read this book because I felt it was too long. But now that this guy who is very much like me in his tastes and preferences says, I'm hooked, I'm going to read it. So that's what I started doing earlier this week. And it's true. I'm hooked as well. This is an amazing story. And it's very different from Game of Thrones or uh, Wheel of Time or, you know, these even, even the Lord of the Rings sometimes can be a bit disconcerting with all the details and... Pfft, there's just so much in these books. Um, the Pillars of Time is masterful storytelling because you you you're. It's as if I'm watching a movie. It's so incredibly well done, and it is. It's a. It's as if I live in the Middle Ages. So it feels like I'm I'm taking the time machine, the DeLorean. I step out of my car and I'm back in the story, and I'm back with these people, and and I'm discovering about how the monasteries, how that functioned, and it's. Um, I, I guess it's well-researched. So you do actually learn from the inside, from inside the story. So it's not trying to... let. Sometimes with Salman Rushdie, I have that uh, idea that he's, he's just... Or Umberto Eco. And they're just, like, showing off with all their knowledge. And I don't care for that. I don't want to, to be... Uh, outs well, outsmarted, that sounds as if I have... a. Uh, <laughs> lack of uh, <coughs> of self uh, confidence but i don't like it when 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 authors are just showing off and uh, where where a lot of the facts that they spout have no reason to be there uh, they don't it doesn't help you uh, to better follow the story it's just in the way um but not in pillars of the earth it it really immerses you in the medieval times and at the same time, you discover that world from the inside out as if you are a part of it. For me, that is the perfect, the perfect type of book. A book for, books for me are like movies and television shows. They're escapism. They bring me to another place. And they open a, a world that I didn't have access to. And now when I ever, every time I, I, I read the book, I'm back in that world. It's so addictive. Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. almost time for me to start cooking because I'm recording this in the evening on Saturday and um, uh, a few days ago uh, I visited um, an Asian supermarket thanks to a tip uh, from uh, Inge and she said I'll take you to the su big supermarket I only know these Asian supermarkets from the United States um, back in April when uh, Rob showed me around he, he brought me to uh, uh, a few of those Asian supermarkets, and I saw stuff that I'd never seen before. 
But of course, I couldn't take anything home because, well, it was the US. <laughs> you have to fly home. You can't take anything. I, I only have carry-on luggage. So I vowed if I'm back home, I need to find a place like that. And I see so many recipes that I cannot duplicate because I I don't have the stuff. There are no, the supermarkets here don't have those ingredients. And I know that in the, some of the bigger places you have what they call here tocos. So stores that are more specialized when it comes to Asian stuff, but most of them are pretty small because, well, we're Dutch. We like our potatoes and our carrots and our cabbage. Uh, and even though we, of course, have immigrants and and here nearby in Wageningen, you've got a lot of um, students from, from Asian countries. Um, but, but even those tokos are relatively limited. But this, this was a true supermarket-sized Asian store. And um, I had a blast. It was so cool. I was like, oh, I know that one from TikTok. Oh, I know that, that type of noodle brand or wow they have the korean soy sauce i must get that and so i had a um a backpack with me that i filled with ingredients and uh, and and i've been cooking with what i bought uh for a couple of days now and there's this one this one recipe or this one it's a type of noodle i like noodles because it's so versatile and but when 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 you order Chinese takeaway in the Netherlands, and this is typically for the for the Dutch Chinese cuisine, there is this dish that for me is is like oh the ultimate comfort food for Americans. They they often say it's mac and cheese. For me, it's bami. So bami is it's basically udon noodles, um, and then it's um, it's stir fried with ham, like tiny pieces of ham. Uh, um, uh, what's the word? Spring onions. Um, uh, uh, uh gosh. Uh, the name is leek, like chopped up piece of leek. Um, tiny bits of carrot, some egg, and of course MSG, uh, and some 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 oil. Uh, and I've I've been desperate to to replicate that dish that i only know from takeaway and and it's like for me it was like a staple order if i get chinese takeaway which i normally never get because it's expensive and i i prefer cooking myself but that one balmy dish that that particular way of preparing it eluded me and even though i had i thought i had all the ingredients I couldn't figure out how to get that ex that same consistency until I went to that Asian supermarket and I found udon noodles, very cheap ones, just one, 99 cents for four units. So for four meals, udon noodles, cook them for four minutes and then do the rest of the preparations. And it's perfect. It is an exact replica of what I used to eat. And so I've discovered that it's actually the noodle itself that makes all the difference. Even if all the other ingredients are the same, it's that particular type of udon noodle that I've now discovered that makes it fit together. And I was... The first time I, I, I took a bite, I was like, I cracked the code. It's like as if I had discovered the secret ingredients of KFC chicken. 
Like, this is it. It's like magical. I can now open my own restaurant and make a ton of money. It's amazing. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. I plugged in not one, not two, but three new devices this week. And it changes everything everything. You've heard me talk about uh, how I was contemplating going back to iOS, especially for my phone. Um, and all that kind of got accelerated when um, when John Domic told me that he, he got the new Apple Watch Ultra. And uh, I, I've been wearing these, these uh, smart watches and wristbands for a while now, usually because I, I run and I want to be able to track my the distances and the, the the pacing and the heartbeat and whatnot. So I've been trying out a couple of very low-budget um, uh, variants of those watches. And I was actually quite happy because I, it, 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 you can, you, it measures your sleep. So I got a much better grip on how am I doing health-wise. But then John said, hey, I got the Apple Watch Ultra and I'm thinking of selling my old Apple Watch 4. Um, are you interested? And I was, yeah, because I, I've always been a bit envious of people with a, with an Apple Watch because it's it's the ultimate watch. It's so, I mean, it's Apple. Um, the thing was, I never really bought an Apple Watch, even though I, I, I could, I was intrigued because you have to have an an iPhone. Um, you cannot link it to an Android phone. So you cannot even activate it without a phone. I have an iPad. You can't use it to activate the watch, which I think is a mistake. But anyway, that's Apple. So, and since I didn't have an iPhone, um, I figured, yeah, it's not for me. But then John's offer made me think, well, you know what? Maybe I should, maybe now is the time to go back to iOS. And mostly because um, I'm I'm working for 90% of my time now in an Apple environment. I've got my laptop that I use for podcasting, for streaming, for for video editing. It's all Mac. I have my iPad, which is my other mobile device that I use day and night. I've got um, well, and then the only other thing, the only thing that was not Apple is uh, the Android, the Android phone. And I like my phone, but it's kind of old, as you know, and the cameras are not that up to date anymore. At the same time, I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to spend a lot of money right now on the iPhone 14 when when later this year Apple is going to switch to USB-C, and uh, it's 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 uh, I was on the fence, and so last week I I had this idea like, well, maybe someone has a, a slightly older iPhone lying around gathering dust, um, and and. Because I, I do have an iPhone, but it's an iPhone 6, and it's no longer supported by Apple. And so you cannot... I try to activate the watch with the iPhone 6, and it refused to do it. It said, you need to upgrade your phone. But I can't, because it's an iPhone 6, and you cannot upgrade to uh, a current operating system. So I was like, oh, maybe I can just like have a temporary phone, maybe just borrow it for a, for a couple of months, 
Um, and then I will use those months to transition over, to transition back from Android to iOS, which is quite a jump for me because I'm, I'm very much into the Android ecosystem, very used to it. Um, and then Yoast actually contacted me and he said, I have an old iPhone 10 that I don't use anymore and the screen is cracked, but I can have it fixed and send it to you. Are you interested? Yes, I am interested. So that's what he did. Not only did he fix the screen, but also put a new battery in this. Um, and and I've been installing this since, uh, when was it? Wednesday, I think. Transitioning over the apps. And then, of course, every app you have to also uh, log in. And I, I realized how much I was inside the Android ecosystem. And it's pretty difficult to go back to to Apple, but I also immediately saw the power of this full Apple integration because all of a sudden, as soon as I did something on the iPhone, my computer was like, hey, I noticed that you have you have an iPhone now. Do you want to uh, transfer your calls uh, to, to, the, to your laptop or the iPad? Could, to activate certain things, I just had to hold the phone near the iPad and it would copy my Wi-Fi information and passwords. And I was so blown away by how, how easy it was to get everything connected. And then the, the watch, <gasps> what a difference. I never understood as an outsider and having used, I was perfectly happy with these Chinese bands that I was using to measure my steps, etc. And I thought that the Apple Watch would just be an Apple variant of that. How wrong was I? And this is something that I, I, I wonder if Apple does a good, good enough job to convince people that an Apple Watch is something on its own. It's not comparable to smartwatches out there. This is a whole different class of devices. It's insane how incredibly... I don't know. It's like I am in Star Trek. This thing is so powerful. And it's the, the UI is incredibly well thought out. Like currently, for instance, one of my watch faces is a planet. It's a, it's a photo of Earth. But it shows me the weather over Europe. It shows me where I am. I can zoom in. It tells me when it's getting dark. I can even scroll around and see, hey, is it, is it already light in, in, in Australia right now? And that's just one of the many faces. You can have what they call complications. So on some of these uh, uh, watch faces, it's, it's perfect for when I'm on a walk because I can see my heart rate. I can click on one button and it will automatically launch Strava, which I use to track my runs. Um, but I have another button spe specifically for Storytel so I can listen to audiobooks on my watch. I don't have to carry my phone with me. I can just download the book to my watch and, and listen to it over, you know, wireless earbuds. That's a, a thing that I still need to figure out how to connect my, my cheap earbuds to the Apple Watch. But just the idea that I can go out for a run and listen to music or an audiobook and I don't have to lug around a, a phone. Although I have to say... The iPhone 10 is so lightweight compared to my big honking <laughs> Asus. And um, it's lightweight and it's small. And I actually really like the form factor. I can use it with one finger. I can just use my thumb and I can reach everywhere on the screen. 
which was not the case with my Zenfone is the same size as the Apple Max, like the biggest iPhone they have. And it's just as heavy. And it's, of course, it's nice because it's a big screen, but it's also um, in, inconvenient, especially if you're walking around and you, you have it in one hand and you constantly have to, like I have to, for, especially now in the winter, I'm wearing gloves, so I have to take off the glove and <laughs> use two hands to operate it. This phone is super small and it's, I love this form factor. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge step for me, but I love it. And then the, the last piece of the puzzle was the Apple TV. Remember uh, last week, I think I, I said that I was trying to figure out how to, how to watch anime and especially Crunchyroll, which is like Netflix for anime. I can watch that on my TV here downstairs. Um, because I have a, a smart TV, but it's apparently too dumb for Crunchyroll. It, it only has a very limited uh, uh, number of apps. And then I, I realized, maybe while I was streaming, like, hey, I've got the Apple TV. I can connect the Apple TV to my television downstairs. I hadn't used the Apple TV for about a year. And so I connected it, and I was immediately blown away by the quality of the image. I don't know what Apple does, but my TV looks so much better. I had a Netflix app and, an, and a, an Amazon Prime app on the TV itself. But when I'm watching it, these same channels via the Apple TV, it's like I have a new TV. It's so crisp and the colors are beautiful and the contrast is so much better. I don't know. And, it, and I even think the frame rate is higher. It must be because the TV is actually a pretty slow device, whereas the Apple TV is a, is a very... It's a very powerful little black puck. And um, and I was able to install uh, Crunchyroll and Plex and, and even uh, apps that apparently I bought years ago and now there is an Apple TV version and I can install it. I have the Sky, what is it, Sky Vision app and it's like your own, um, what you call that, that place where you can see the sky, they have like a fake star starry sky uh, uh oh uh, astra you know what i mean like these domed th anyway i've got an app for that and it's on my tv so i can just look at look up information about the the stars and about the planets right there with an app that i bought maybe more than 10 years ago that's that's crazy um so and it makes all the difference to watch anime like that instead of watching it on a tiny screen of my laptop to watch it on my big TV. So I immediately started to line up uh, um, shows that I wanted to watch again. So And, and then uh, to install the Apple TV, you know, normally when I have to activate an app or uh, log into my account on the TV, I'm like with my remote and then click, 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 R. Click 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 V. Click 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 O. Click click click. I'm typing in my my email address, which is unique. That's the only the first part of the login procedure, and then you have to type in your password. And I've got these very strong encrypted passwords. That's why I knew normally have an app for that, but not on my TV. So I'm like looking up the password that is like. 25 characters long and then it was like okay capital b 
click, 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 hashtag, click, 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 three, click, 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 regular G, click, 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 capital L, click, 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 exclamation point. This is not a real password, by the way. It takes forever. Not with the Apple TV. So I was like ready to type it. I I was resenting it. I was like, oh man, now I have like, how many channels do I have to log into? This is going to take me a, a week. So I started to type in my password and then my phone starts to make a sound, the iPhone 10, and says, hey, do you want to use the keyboard of the phone? Sure. So I was like, that is a lot easier. I can just type on the keyboard on my phone and, and, and then my Apple TV will use that as a keyboard. But no, wait, there is more. I could just use my password manager on my phone, copy the entire 24-character crazy password, and just send it straight to the Apple TV. So within 15 minutes, all those channels, all those apps, I was logged in thanks to the iPhone integration with the Apple TV. I mean, fantastic. This is what sets apart Apple. I may, I sound like an Apple fanboy right now, but seriously, th- there is no other brand that does this kind of stuff. And it's all integrated, and now I can finally see. And I know some of you Apple people, you're like, told you so. Told you so. You didn't want it. You wanted to go with Android. You're the Mr. Windows. Mm, told you so. It's better here. You were right. You were right. I admit it. I've walked astray. And I thank you for bringing me back to the fold, into the fold. I was that lost sheep that Tim Cook took on his shoulders and brought me back to the other sheep. The 99 Apple users... And I was that one Android lamb that almost, almost was lost forever. But I'm back. <laughs> and I love it. All right. That was probably something I need to confess. <laughs> Sacrilege. All right. Um, time for the inspirational thought of the week. By the way, my apologies for the slow piano music. I tried to find the old big band and jingle, and I can't find it anywhere. Um, I'll continue to... Uh, to look for it. This quote this week is from Cindy Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits. I like it. Not but I like it. I like it. It's almost as if I have something against Jesuits, which is not the case. Teach us to give and not count the cost. That's wonderful. Not normally what we do. We always count before we give. Let Teach us to give and not count the cost. If you do that, you're on your way to happiness. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the privilege of your time. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk soon.